get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 701, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. This could be an elimination day in the World Series as the Dodgers play the Rays tonight in Game 6 in Arlington at Globe Life Park. And that game will be heard here on 101 ESPN starting at 6.30 right now, 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Morning, Michelle. How you doing? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing well. And you? I, I couldn't. Well, I guess I could be better. I could be Jeff Albert this morning. Who? Uh, <laughs> he, hey, every every job is based on production. If you're a management person, a middle management person, generally, you are judged on how you or your charges, your forces, the people that you oversee, produce. Mm-hmm. Jeff Albert. Not great with the Cardinal hitters in 2019, but or 2020 rather, as we or 19, or 19 <laughs> but as we head towards 21, Jeff Albert gets a new contract. He's there. He's a member of the Cardinal coaching staff. Every single one of them, according to Derek Gould at SDLToday.com, is coming back next year. And while you would certainly hope that they would bring back Mike Maddox and a lot of the other members of the coaching staff that contributed to the Cardinals' great pitching, to their sound defense, the offense. I think we have a lot of questions about. So to see that headline, hey, Jeff Albert, the hitting the hitting coaches, the entire staff is coming back. I think a lot of Cardinals fans said, oh, really? So we're going to have to brace ourselves for this offense again in 2021? After last year, John Mozeliak said that the Cardinals were all in with Jeff Albert and his philosophy. And the Cardinals bought a ton of equipment. Uh, software and programs to help hitters. They also hired an Albert associate, mm-hmm. Russ Steinhorn, to be their quote-unquote offensive coordinator at the minor league level, and they're still all in. So they, they like the idea. Whether or not it'll work, we don't know, but at least they're committed to an idea. Yeah, and Derek Gould's great piece at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He says the Cardinals have described a long-term goal, a quote, learning curve, as Schilt put it, but one with short-term expectations. Isn't that kind of counter counterproductive? You, you know that there's going to be a learning curve. Mm-hmm. You're looking at a long-term goal, but you have short-term expectations. That would tell me that... Yeah, let's it, decipher that. Yeah, if you do have short-term expectations... The only thing I can decipher from that, based on the last two years that I have seen, is that the Cardinals are going to go get different hitters at the major league level. So you have that learning Mm -hmm. curve. You have the the young players adapting to this new philosophy. But in 2021, clearly the outfielders and Matt Carpenter and several others didn't adapt to this philosophy. So they must be planning on getting hitters that will adapt to Jeff Albert's philosophy and execute it better than the Cardinals did. And by the way, as was noted in Derek Gould's piece, the Cardinals' numbers in the outfield, their offensive numbers, are the worst. The mm-hmm. bottom. There are 30 teams. They're number 30 in Major League Baseball. <laughs> so learning curve, yes. We, we mm-hmm. can maybe just, uh, you know, oh. say that there's a learning curve there. But, Randy, it's, um, it's kind of amazing that... Heading into the third season, you would still be thinking, okay, learning curve. Yeah. Well, and 
that is one part of it. And let, let's start there because you would hope that people like Harrison Bader would ascend. That Tyler O'Neill, who's been here under Albert for Albert's entire career, would ascend. That Colton Wong would ascend. The Yadier Molina, even though physically he's deteriorating, everybody does when they get to 38 and they played as much as he has, that he would get a little bit better. Who on the Cardinals, in your opinion, and this includes people that came in like Paul Goldschmidt, what Cardinal hitter do you look at that you say, okay, that person's gotten better in the last two years? I just want one. Yeah, the only person I could point to is Paul Goldschmidt, who was more consistent this season. And he was better in Arizona yeah. than he has been here in St. Louis. 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. If you can find that hitter that has been better in the last two years than they were before Jeff Albert got to St. Louis. Also, if the process is so complicated that it's going to take a learning curve Mm -hmm. for your hitters to adjust to, but the way that your team is constructed, as we mentioned, great fundamentals, great defense, you know you have strong pitching that is going to carry you through. What is it about this approach that you are so committed to that you're willing to mortgage part of your current team, a main component of your team that has been struggling for a long-term payout? I don't know if it's what Albert is selling them or if they have seen in other places a philosophy like this work. Obviously, philosophically, he learned his his stuff at the Cardinal minor league mm-hmm. level. And then he went to Houston and we know why they succeeded at such a high level. And you can't do that anymore. I don't know. And here's the alarming part for me, Michelle. It's beyond wasting the current players. But what did a guy like Dylan Carlson learn? What are people like Nolan Gorman and Jordan Walker learning at the minor league level? If the Cardinals are all in, and this is a philosophical approach that they have for the entire organization, and we're seeing what's happening at the major league level where guys are descending rather than ascending offensively, what's happening at the minor league level for when they get here? It's a great question. Because... Cardinals hit 57 home runs. They, they obviously, they don't even swing hard. Their their exit velocity is down uh, uh, as a group. And, and I know the Cardinals will say it was only a 60-game season. Well, it was only a 60-game season for the Dodgers, too. Yeah, that's right. And they did okay. That's right. Yeah, and it's always interesting to hear teams or even analysts evaluate teams in this year because if someone struggles or a team struggles, uh, oftentimes the narrative is, well, it's a weird season. It's been a weird season, so we're going to give Jeff Albert the benefit of the doubt. But why aren't teams like the Dodgers or the Rays getting praise saying, hey, it's a weird season, but what we're doing is working so much that we were able to still excel during a season like this. And I know the Dodgers are a stacked team. They're going to have success no matter what the season looks like. But there are other teams that are performing okay offensively during a weird season. Yeah, and by the way, <laughs> one of the weirdest parts of this season is that the Tampa Bay Rays led Major League Baseball in strikeouts this year with 608. They averaged more than 10 strikeouts a game. They were middle of the pack in runs, but they were also second in walks. So they are the quintessential three true outcome team. A walk, a home run, or a strikeout. That, that's what they want to be. They're deep into analytics. I don't know if that's what the Cardinals want to become, but It's certainly, A, not the Cardinal way, and B, doesn't fit the philosophy that Mike Schilt employed in 2019 when the Cardinals led the league in stolen bases and tried to manufacture runs. The Cardinals just don't have the players 
to be a three true outcome team. You can't hit 57 homers and be last in Major League Baseball in home runs and be a successful three true outcome team. But then, where, but then there's a major disconnect because you have to adjust and extract the best out of the players that you currently have. What are they going to do? Have a, a roster turnover to acquire players to fit Jeff Albert's approach? Logically, Michelle, I think that that's... Now, will that happen? No. But if you're going to use my college logic class, if, then, therefore, <laughs> if the Cardinals believe that Jeff Albert is not a problem, then they believe their hitters are. Therefore, if they're going to keep Albert, they need to get new hitters. How about that? That I could teach that class. You just taught us all, Randy. You just schooled <laughs> if, us all. If, then, therefore, right? It, yeah, it's one or the other. Yeah, can we deny this, that, that this is the case? But then what happens when you have relatively the same roster coming into the 2021 season? If you have the same hitting coach, <laughs> And you bring back the same hitters that were unproductive last year. Therefore, your offense will suck again in 2021. And what do they say the definition of insanity is, Randy? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result? Bingo. Yeah. So we're all just going to be insane this season? I guess so. Now, I hope that the Cardinals prove us wrong. I hope that Jeff Albert's learning curve kicks in in 2021. And I don't believe that... A hitting coach can make guys better hitters generally. But what, and, and this is something that I learned from Mark McGuire and we learned from Tony Larusa. It's with a hitting coach, it's about approach and specifically mental approach at the plate. And the Cardinals don't appear to have a great mental, they, they seem to be caught in between. Should I take this pitch or should I swing hard? But they never take the pitch and they never swing hard. So they don't hit home runs, but they don't walk a ton either. So they're thinking a lot. Yeah, right. Exactly. They're caught in between. And hopefully with Jeff Albert and uh, uh, Jubo or Jobu, whatever his name is, Joe Joe Bell Jimenez. I call him Jobu because it's fun. Uh, Hopefully that group, that pair will provide the, the Cardinal hitters with enough knowledge that they become better hitters. That's all I expect. I just want them to get a little bit better, maybe a lot better. But hey, one other point here. It's the Ozuna factor uh-huh. that Marcelo Ozuna hit 37 and 124 with the Marlins the year, year before he comes here. And we talked about this. We talked about the injuries and everything. But and he was a good good player with the Cardinals. He should have been back as their number four hitter. But then he goes back and almost wins a triple crown in Atlanta the year after he's here. The job of the hitting coach is to make hitters better, right? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes we don't really even talk that much about the hitting coach until your team is ranked 26th in OPS or last in home runs. That's when yeah. all of a sudden you start talking about, oh, after back-to-back seasons, even in a truncated season of the same stats of the the same lack of production, that's when we start talking about a hitting coach. And if you're the Cardinals and all of these guys that you have moved on from are having offensive success elsewhere, don't you think it's even more important to make sure that the guys you retained and that you bet on, a Lane Thomas, a Tyler O'Neill, a Harrison Bader, are getting the instruction that they need to make them the best possible offensive players that they can be? It's even more important for them. If you're going to make that investment, if you're going to trade Marco Gonzalez for Tyler O'Neill, then you want to do everything you can to make sure that Tyler O'Neill gets to be the best that he can be. Because now Tyler O'Neill has to be the hitting equivalent of a 16-game winner. Also, think about what they're saying. 
we have to evaluate these guys to make sure that we're putting the right players in place here. But also we're trying to evaluate them as we're also acknowledging that they're going through a massive learning curve. Mm-hmm. So how can you properly evaluate them if they're if they're still in the in the process of learning? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> hey, Jeff Albert, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Coming up on Character and Smallman. What's better? You can get your text in 65780. Scott Manziara will have what's better for us here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. couple of things to clean up from our last segment. Several people mentioned that Colton Wong got better. 2017 under John Mabry, Wong hit 285 with a 788 OPS. And then in 2018, he slumped to 249 with a 720. Then he did bounce back in 2019 to have pretty much the same season that he had had in 2017. 285 again with a 784 OPS. And then this year, his worst year since his rookie year, a 675 OPS and he hit 265. Somebody else mentioned Dexter Fowler, who had well-documented issues in yes. terms of depression a couple of years ago and he's just returned to what he, he had always been there weren't any physical issues it wasn't a, a batting coach issue with him I think it might have been well it was more than anything else just an issue of dealing with clinical depression and right. getting past that right so th- those are a couple of guys but we do appreciate your text 65780 for what's better Scotty we got some great text already get them in to 65780 the air comfort service text line this one from the 636 what's better the freeze home run or the final out of a winning game seven Ooh. well I- okay you go first well there's no doubt that we're celebrating today the anniversary of David Freeze game six home run I remember that the fly ball went to Alan Craig so to end the World Series. So I couldn't I. tell you who hit it. No, me either. So I would say that for me, that game six game winner by Freeze is much more memorable than the final out of the World Series the next night. But the final out, the Freeze home run will always live in infamy no matter what the outcome because it was an amazing moment. But it's heightened because of the final out, because they won the World Series. If they go on to lose Game 7, that David Freeze home run is, oh, yeah, remember that series? That was the Freeze home run, but they lost. Yeah. Um, Yeah, of course. The Freeze home run gives me goosebumps every time I see it, every time I hear Joe Buck's amazing, we'll see you tomorrow night call. It's perfect. And I can't wait to talk to him later in the show today as well. But... um, I don't know. I think I might take the final out because then you Mm. are champions. You're champions. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with final outs of uh, winning World Series. That'd be pretty good. I don't know. That's really tough. That's like... So. That's like your if your logic thing, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) That you did last segment. And by the way, you can uh, send us a, a Rhino Shield mic drop. Tell us where you were, what you were doing. And whether you were still invested at the in the top of the 11th. When Freeze hit that home run, where were you and what were you doing? This one from the 636. What's better, a foot of snow or a quarter inch of ice? I guess the drive-in. Oh, I'd rather drive in snow than ice. Yeah, everybody should rather drive in <laughs> snow. But a foot of snow, uh, the thing is a quarter inch of ice is going to melt faster. So I would rather deal with the ice that's going to be gone faster than the snow. Okay. 
This one comes in from the 314. What's better, New York style pizza or St. Louis style pizza? I guess the square is the St. Louis style. Yeah. Uh, I, New York style pizza. Yeah, without a doubt. And I, I love my emos. I love my St. Louis style pizza. But again, all due respect, if I'm in Midtown Manhattan and there's a Ray's and an emos right next door, I'm going to Ray's. There's few things in life more satisfying than getting an amazing single slice of pizza in New York City. It's pretty awesome. Pretty good. The only thing better is uh, like an hour later going getting another one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Get us two things and Michelle and Randy will tell you what's better to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Staying with food here from the 636. What's better, cake or cookies? Cake. Because usually you're celebrating something. I'm going to go with cookies because of the convenience of being able to pick up a cookie and eat it. I, I like having them be finger food. And in terms of what I, I like better in terms of texture and flavor, it's a coin flip. So I'm, I'm going to go with convenience here and go with the cookies. Now, the best of all worlds is to go to Schnooks and get your cookie cake and eat that because it does, just doesn't get better than the cookie cake from Schnooks, Michelle. Randy, I went to Schnooks yesterday to get some groceries, do some cooking, some meal prep. Walking by the bakery section in Schnooks yesterday almost made me quit this challenge. It's the best bakery in town. It is treacherous. Yeah. If you're trying to eat healthy, do not go because you will succumb to the, the perfect sense coming out of the Schnooks bakery. Michelle, while you were doing that, I was probably walking the steps at Creve Court Park in the pouring rain. I can't believe you did it. I, I thought did you it. were going to quit yesterday uh, for sure. <laughs> I was wearing my Eddie Bauer boots. Nice. I loaded up with, uh, I, I had a base layer. I loaded up with uh, some waterproof clothing, and I actually was not uncomfortable, which is unbelievable. Well, it sounds like you had the right gear, but I did. walking in the rain, though, doesn't sound like a good time. Uh, I just, I had my, uh, my headphones in. It was fine. It was better than I thought it was. I thought I was going to quit, too, as you know, but I didn't. Absolute gamer, Randy. Totally. This one from the 636. What's better, chili and football with the pals or a steak and candlelight dinner with your significant other? <laughs> okay, I I got to go. See, you can always have chili and football with the buddies, but you can't always have... A really good steak, again, from Shook's Butchers. <laughs> and a candlelight dinner with a significant other. So I'm going to go with that. You're going steak and candlelight. I'm going with the, the, the rare item. What about chili football tailgating, though? What if it's what if it's not just at somebody's house in the garage? What if you're tailgating before a game? Okay, so and it's not tailgating like in yesterday weather? Right. It's just a, a Sunday. You've it's been looking forward to this all week. 67 degrees and yeah, sunny tailgating. Yeah, yeah totally. Because I guess for me, it depends on the environment. If I'm tailgating, if I'm with my friends outside, perfect fall day, for sure doing that over a restaurant. And I do think... The environment, including the football environment, makes a huge difference. I remember the 2001 NFC Championship game, and it was snowing. And we tailgated right across the street from the Dome in the MAC lot. And it didn't feel cold, and, and our feet didn't, because we were getting ready for an NFC Championship game, and everybody was just so festive. 
And we had a friend, one of our tailgaters, brought a turkey fryer oh, and would cool. fry a turkey. And we brought like these giant Philly sandwiches, Philly cheesesteak sandwiches that we made because we were always obviously indigenous to the city of the team that we were playing. And I remember, and it was a late game. I think it was like a three o'clock start. We get there at seven, eight in the morning. And I bet a million people are going to text and say, I was there. And yeah, nobody felt cold, even though it was snowing. Was that something you looked forward to all week? Was that your favorite day of the week? Made Well, here's the thing, especially during the greatest show on turf. So the Rams would play, the St. Louis Rams would play on Sunday, and usually they would win. I would wake up on Monday planning for the following Sunday. My entire week was driven by the NFL. From the time, Michelle, that I was 12 until the time I was 53, the NFL owned me. They did. My my fall weekends revolved around the kickoff of the game on Sunday. I was telling some guys that I was playing golf with last week. Since the Rams left, and I think I've told you this, I have not seen a kickoff for an NFL, not one NFL game. Do you feel free? Oh, yeah, I do what I wanted. As it turns out, that was so much better. Being able to go to family weekends at Bradley with my daughter and being able to go and watch SEC games on the road with mm-hmm. my son and being able to do stuff with my family and get in a lot more golf and bike riding. Absolutely. It, them leaving, especially because of the way they were here from 2005 until the time they left, 2004 really till the time they left. Yeah, it was much better. But think about those Sundays that you had tailgating and those Sundays you had watching that special iconic team and how many years of misery that you put up with because of those moments, how great they were though. You put up with so much because of how great that was. I know definitively, there's no doubt about this. All due respect to you Steeler fans that are watching what you're watching every year or you Patriot fans that watched the last 20 years or Packer fans. The football that I watched in 1999, 2000, 2001 was the best football anybody will ever see. It was the best offense anybody will ever see, and it was in an era where teams still played defense, and the Rams cared about special teams. You had at least four, maybe five Hall of Famers on offense. You had Warner, you had Falk, you had Pace, uh, you you had Isaac, and Torrey Holt might make the Hall of Fame too. So that's the way I look back at it, is that I saw the best that anybody will ever see and enjoyed it. Thank you, Scotty. You got it, man. Coming up, it is the anniversary of the Cardinals winning the 2006 World Series, and we're going to talk to the MVP of that series, David Eckstein, the shortstop of the Cardinals in 06, is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> That into right center field. Granderson falls down and won't make the play. Eckstein will cruise around second and hold at second with a double. Eckstein flies one into left. Monroe is not going to get it. And the Cardinals lead it 5-4 here in the eighth inning of game four. For the first time since 1982, St. Louis has a World Series winner. And that happened on this date in 2006. The Cardinals wrapped up the 06 World Series Championship with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carrick, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and to that World Series MVP, David Eckstein, kind enough to join us. David, thanks so much for taking some time with us. Happy anniversary. How are you doing? <laughs> doing great. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for having me. Well, 
Let's start with this, uh, because uh, Michelle and I were both reviewing that World Series, and it's so fun to go back and say, oh, yeah, that happened. What sticks out in your mind? What's your strongest memory of that the, that five-game series? Well, well, the biggest thing is, like, I don't think anyone could ever forget. Um, I always go to the end. Adam Wainwright um, striking out Brendan Inge, because that is the most memorable part, because that meant we had won, and that was that was – Probably that's always the one that stuck in my head is the fact that when you sit there and play that long and then Adam striking out Brendan and we had won, that's the, that's the greatest memory I've had. David, obviously you had a great World Series. You are the World Series MVP, but you didn't start out so hot. What was it no. that clicked for you after the second game that allowed you to really blossom in that series? Yeah, well, the thing about it was I thought I was hitting the ball pretty well. It was just right at people. And 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 so it was one of those things that I did not get down or anything like that. And I even went with game three, went out 0 for 2. And then finally um, I had the ability to find some holes because some of those balls were not as well hit that I actually got hits on. And then, as we all know, um, Granderson falling down on the one play and stuff like that. So I had a little luck as well. And so did the team, because you don't expect things like that. You don't expect their pitchers to make five errors during the series. It it was kind of a a weird series for Detroit. It it was. It was one of those things that um, it was like, which pitcher is going to make a mistake this this game for them? It was was crazy, the fact that, you know, it really came into play. And, you know, everything we're talking about today of getting rid of the DH, and you understand, I mean, adding the DH, you understand that aspect to the game, but I think it really gives an advantage to the National League Club within the World Series. Does it make a difference when that happens a couple of times? Do you have to remind each other, okay, even if you hit just a little worm burner, be sure you bust it because you never know what's going to happen with these pitchers. Definitely by game four, yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, yes. It was one of those things. Like, and I think it kind of gets in the heads of the of the other club's pitchers too. Like, okay, I don't want to be the guy that does that. And now all of a sudden you start thinking when the ball is coming to you, and then that's never a good thing in the game. David, you mentioned the final out, so you guys win. The yeah. confetti is falling. What was yeah. going through your mind when they said you're the World Series MVP? Was it something that you could process in the moment? Definitely not. Definitely not. You can even see the photos. I was like, look like I was in a daze. Um, Cause you, you live your life in, in, in everything that whole year is geared up to win the world series. And so you don't even process the fact that, okay, you just been named the world series MVP. And to be honest, you didn't really care. You know what I mean? It was one of those things that, you know, just so happy to win. Um, I always say this whenever I talk about this, Yadier Molina, what he did, um, during that series, I mean, hit over 400, but commanded our pitching staff. You know, I mean, he could have been named the World Series in peace. You don't really think about it. Now that I'm done playing, <laughs> it's one of those things that every time you get introduced, you get introduced as that. Now it actually it sunk in, and, it, and it's definitely a great honor. And we all remember you standing there sitting on the, the yellow Corvette. So you've got to give us an update. Where's the Corvette today? So, so yes, so the Corvette is, as I think I've told us, it's, it's actually black. They let me pick it out. Um, and um, it's actually, I gave it to my brother. So it's sitting in Georgia in his garage right now. So, yes. Has and it been driven much? Care of it. Um, I think he might have passed 10,000 miles this year. Wow. <laughs> so, no, it has not. It's been very, um, you know, well-maintained. He is a car guy. He always liked cars and everything like that. 
I am the worst. <laughs> like I do, as, as you guys probably know, my history of cars, like mm-hmm. they're not me. <laughs> and so legitimately he's the one that can take care of it within the family and take, and that's what he's done. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's still in pristine condition. David Eckstein with us on 101 ESPN. I, I got to ask this, and I you might not know the answer, but when he takes that out and somebody says, oh, what a cool car, does he yeah. say, yeah, my brother got that for be, being the World <laughs> Series MVP? Uh, I, yeah, he does when someone <laughs> asks. And because, and you know, Chevrolet gave me $5,000 to engrave the car as my own. And so I, w- I was able to take the seats out and then put the World Series MVP into each seat. So when you look in the car, you'll see my my autograph with the World Series MVP logo. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, if you ever get into a family dispute, I think you have the upper hand saying, hey, remember the car? I I think we're going to have to defer to that. (laughs) Exactly. Well, the thing about it was, um, you know, Rick meant so much to me in my career. You know, he actually was there, um, pushed me along the way, you know, helped me, especially with hitting, you know, he's one of the best hitting coaches in the game going right now. And so it's one of those things that that's what I had as a brother. And is if, when people look at my skill set, like, how do you make it? It was because of him. So it was no problem to be able to say, hey, here's your present. Thank you for letting me achieve my dream. David, next time with us on 101 ESPN. David, you obviously won with the Angels in 02, and K-Rod had come up and been so dominant. Yeah. But to have the group of relievers that you had, the, the kids like Wainwright and BT and Tyler Johnson and Josh Kinney, yeah, it, it was amazing to see those young kids step up under the highest pressure that they could ever pitch under. Yeah, and, and I think that, that gives a great credit to Tony La Russa because it was one of those things when a young guy came into our clubhouse, and especially when you talk about, you know, we had the Chris Carpenters and, um, you know, Mulder. We had, we had veteran guys that kind of took them underneath their wings to make them feel like a major leaguer. Because, you know, back in the day, it was, oh, the, the young guy has to earn his stripes and we're going to treat him hard. That was not within our clubhouse. We, we treated them as, as they are a St. Louis Cardinal and we're going to need them um, if we're ever going to win. And, yeah, they were able to step up and just – I mean, Josh Kenny's story, you know, independent league baseball coming out. And, and so, and then as you guys know, Brad Thompson, you know, we just had guys that, that, you know, you might not have heard their names, um, but in the end they were able to definitely get you out. And then, you know, Adam Wainwright, no one had seen him and the way they, they used Adam, you know, never pitching back to back days until the month of September. And when Israel house went down and he stepped into the closer role, you know, and that, that is, that is, pivotal to have a fresh young arm that can throw the ball the way he can throw. And like you're talking about K-Rod with his slider, well, Adam's curveball was devastating. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because Brad and uh, Wayno have talked about how Izzy helped them, but they, yeah. also because of what happened two years earlier. Can you tell us about what it was like when you guys were getting ready for the World Series and what Al- guys like Carpenter and Albert and Jimmy Edmonds and, and Roland did to help you guys get through all of that? Well, not you, but uh, the, the young kids. Well, yeah, because I think, you know, especially Albert and um, Scotty, they had, they had something to prove. They had something to prove after the 04 World Series, you know, and people had questions like, you know, kind of like their question, Clayton Kershaw right now. And so there was something to prove to go out there that, no, these are who we are. 
we have great stats during the regular season, we can do it in the playoffs. And the biggest thing was just to relax and be able to be play your game. And there was another unsung hero that I was actually able um, to be able to play with in 02 in, in St. Louis with Scott Spezio was on the club. And mm-hmm. Scott really knew how to make guys relax as well and just let them be themselves to be able to go out there and perform. David, it's interesting that you say relax, go out there, be yourself, because when we always think about a Tony La Russa clubhouse or a Tony La Russa team, we think about that intensity, that unrelenting yeah. intensity that's there all the time. So it's an interesting balance that those teams would strike of being able to maintain that ferocity and that intensity approaching the game, but also be able to relax. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing about it is the intense and that, and that type of thing is relaxing, you know, because that means you're ready to play. And I think that's where people kind of get it wrong. Oh, you just got to have fun and stuff like that. There's an intensity that leads to comfort. And that comfort is the fact that you have trained so hard that you prepared yourself and you're ready for this moment. And when you get to that point and you play with a chip on your shoulder, and that's what Tony always stressed. And when you could get yourself that point um, quicker, um, that's when you're able to relax because now you're in your comfort zone because you know you're playing. When you get nervous and you start thinking, oh, my gosh, this, this, and this, that's only self-doubt. That's because you haven't trained hard enough to be able to be ready for the situation. That's something that Tony's always stressed. So, like, that intensity, and as you I mean, legitimately, when you talk about, like, the final out, you can, people can say you can see the relief that just comes off your face because you're so tight, you're so wound up, and that's when you're relaxed. It's, a, it's an oxymoron, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> and, David, I, I know that you feel this way, and all of us here in St. Louis feel this way, but one of the great pleasures we get looking back at that World Series is that our friend, our late great friend, Chris Duncan, got yeah. to experience it. Yes, yes. You know, that was probably, you know, to, to see him and his father be able to be on, in the same bench and, and have his dad watch him play and how, how much he really helped us you know, achieve the, the, the championship. Um, yeah, it's something that um, it's kind of when you take a step back now and look back, you know, um, and what he actually did for our club to do it. And now that he has passed, I mean, is one of those things. I, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity um, last year when we stand up to cancer, I was able to write his name down. And um, yeah, it, you really, you know, life is very short and it's and and it and everything happens so fast and you know it's one of those things that you just uh, you just miss him and um just know you know the fact that you had the opportunity to be with him and his father and enjoy that special moment was something i will always remember yeah, we certainly miss Dunk, that's for sure. Well, David, we started the interview. You mentioned your memory that stands out above all from that World Series yeah. involves Adam Wainwright. So what's it like for you to still be watching Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina do what they're doing at uh, this stage of their careers? Not so good because I'm working for the Pirates. But no, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. I absolutely love it. I actually got to got to see Yadi um, when he, he came out in one of the games so, um in Pittsburgh, and so he was walking through when he got hit on the wrist again late in the series. I got to see him, you know, smile on his face. Got to see Adam before a game. I mean, you just root for them. You always root for them. You, they they have a special bond. They're they're two of the greatest players to play um, the game, and and what they've done. I mean, the question is 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 the sense of like I hope they never stop because they they have the ability, and and I mean. It just changes the game. So I, I root for them all the time. They know that. I love them. 
And I just hope they continue a long time, and as we all hope, just stay in a Cardinal uniform. Well, David Eckstein, in the storied history of this franchise, you are one of our storied members and memories because of what happened 14 years ago today. Thanks so much for taking the time with us. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Stay safe, you and your family, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate it for having me. Have All a right. great day. You too. Take care. That is the great David Eckstein joining us on 101 ESPN. He's great. He's. You know what's interesting is that... Uh, when he was introduced by Bud Selig mm-hmm. as the World Series MVP, David, Bud Selig said, said David Eckstein. <laughs> and on the commemorative DVD, they edited that part out. Wow. So they didn't, the, Bud didn't mess up his name. That's pretty cool that he has engraved the seats, though, oh, World Series yeah. MVP. What a gift, though. Wow. As he mentioned, you know, it, there's so many people that touch your career and that help you along the way. But what a special thing for him to be able to pay that back. Yeah, and 10,000 miles now on the vehicle in 14 years. Incredible. Pretty awesome. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thanks to David Eckstein. By the way, later in the show, we are going to talk to Travis Ford at 815, the head coach of St. Louis U's basketball team, and Joe Buck getting ready for Game 6 tonight down in Arlington, Texas. He will be with us at 930. Next up, though, you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you'd like to weigh in with Take It or Leave It, we'd love to hear that. And we'd also like to hear where you were on this date in 2011. Tonight is the anniversary of David Freeze hitting that home run to win Game 6. So if you want to weigh in with where you were, give us a mic drop with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on your free 101 ESPN app. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We do need a fighter for the fight at 830. You can text us 65780. Just send the word fight with your name, your first name to 65780 and Scott will at random pick out a fighter and you might be the one that participates at 830. That'll be pretty cool. We've got Ticket or Leave It too. 65780. Get your Tioli in to the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, yesterday the SEC sent an email that the head coach at Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, had been Mm -hmm. fined $25,000 for criticizing officials. What happened in Saturday's game is that in the Auburn-Ole Miss game, on a kickoff, Sean Shivers from Auburn touched a ball. It went into the end zone, and the officials called it a touchback. Never was reviewed. And Kiffin complained about it on social media after the game. And the SEC said in their email yesterday, yeah, the officials messed this up, but we're still going to find Lane Kiffin $25,000. Take it or leave it. If a coach makes a complaint and he's right, he should not be fined. Correct. Take it. That's what I think. Take it. And I know they've got this rules. You can't these rules. You can't criticize officials. Well, somehow you have to hold officials accountable if they screw up. Now it's one thing if the officials made a judgment call, but this was a clear mistake on the part of the officials. And I, I think it's fair for Lane Kiffin to say something, and I think it's unfair for him to be fined. Take it or leave it. You think that umpires and officials should have to do post game pressers? I'll totally take that. Yes. I always thought if this is something that you want to do, then just like the athletes, if you're part of the game and something that you do could impact the outcome of a game, you should have to explain yourself afterwards. Just like a player, a coach, or a manager, right? Exactly. I'm with you. Is that, is that, that the was, one that you're was going it, with? But I can give you another one. Okay. Take it or leave it, Randy. At least one member of the 2020 Cardinals will improve dramatically from an offensive standpoint because of Jeff Albert's teachings. 
At least one. I'm only getting all you have to okay. pick is one. I'm just trying to think of one. <laughs> Dramatically, I'm going to leave it. About a breakout offensive year for one guy. Does this include Dylan Carlson? I'm, I was just going to say, let's remove him from the list. Okay, so I'm going to leave it. What do you think? I'm going to leave it too. Yeah. That's why I think they need to get new hitters. If they're going to have him back, they need to get new hitters. But what kind of approach is it that it's so great that you're willing to say, hey, I don't believe in any of this talent anymore because you can't apply your skills to this set of teachings? Sometimes you just go down a road and it's it's like, I guess, being in a bad marriage where you know it's really not going anywhere in the long run, but you're going to try to stick it out and maybe have a kid and hope it'll save the, the marriage. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> but at least with a kid, you get some joy. We're just getting strikeouts. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. Our kid is a K. Our kid is a K. <laughs> and... What does it say about about them? Is it an ego thing? Is it a we don't want to admit we were wrong thing? And if so, that's a detriment to your product. Hey. You're hurting yourself even further by not admitting you were wrong if, in fact, you're wrong. You are preaching to the choir here. I think there is a pretty substantial level of smartest guy in the room syndrome going on over there. And sometimes you have to say to yourself, you know what? It's not really working great offensively and taking nothing away from the success of the Cardinals who win a lot. They go to the playoffs, but specifically to the offense, sometimes it's better to listen to other people. Yeah. And there's a hole in the operation somewhere. If it's not, let's, let's line up all the suspects. Let's line up all the possibilities here. Is it the talent? Is it the approach? Is it the scouting? There, there may be holes in some of those departments mm-hmm. in the evaluation, et cetera, in, in the decision-making, who's assigning well, all of these. There is a hole somewhere, and it's imperative that they find it and they plug it up. Yes. Let's get to the text, 65780. <laughs> yep, that's what we want from the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Take it or leave it. The next contract the Cardinals offer Yadier Molina should be as a coach. I'm going to leave that. Yeah, I'm going to leave that, too. He's he's still playing. I have no problem offer if the Cardinals, if I were in charge, I would have no trouble offering him a one-year deal. I think a one-year deal would be great. Would he accept that? I don't know. And if he doesn't, and if he can get a two-year deal elsewhere, then it has been a great run. In the 636, take it or leave it. Last night, what we saw the real Chicago Bears. Oh, yeah, I'll take that. We, we saw the St. Louis Rams Nick Foles. I'll put it that way. There you go. That's a good way see, to phrase it. We didn't see the Philadelphia Eagles Nick Foles. At, at the end of November, what do the Chicago Bears look like? A month from now, what do we think? What do we think? Because heading into last night's game, it was, are the Bears good? That was the question. Yep. I'm, I'm curious in a month what we're going to be saying about the Chicago Bears. Okay, here's what they have coming up. Right now, they're five and two. Uh, versus Saints loss mm-hmm. five and three at Titans loss mm-hmm. five and four Vikings at home let's give them that one six and four at Packers six and five Lions at home seven and five Texans at home eight and five at Vikings I'll say a loss so eight and six at Jaguars nine and six Packers at home nine and seven maybe a playoff team interesting. In the 636, take it or leave it. Trevor Lawrence should take the Eli route if the Jets get the number one pick. I'll take that. I'll take that, too. Yeah, I'm not playing there. And no. whoever said who was the other day, somebody said he should go back to school. 
yes, correct. I think it was Roddy White that said that. Yeah, that's exactly I right. I think we yeah. played that in your yep. Killing Me just, Smalls. Yeah, if the Jets have the number one pick, just say I'm going back to, to Clemson for my senior year. Why would you do that to yourself? Yeah, go to the Jets. Yeah, go to the know, Jets. Man. Why would you? I know it's a dream come true. People wait their entire lives to get drafted. Trevor Lawrence is rare. He has the control here. Mm-hmm. He can determine his destiny. Why would you sentence yourself to a prison sentence with now, the New York Jets? Let me give you a scenario. The Jets fire Adam Case, Adam Gase and Joe Douglas, their coach and GM. And they hire Ozzie Newsom to mm-hmm. run their entire football operation. And he's the one that hires a coach. If you're Trevor Lawrence and you are convinced that Ozzie Newsom has complete control, do you change your mind? Yeah, I would. I would too. This one from the 636 comes in. Take it or leave it. The Blues will win the Central Division next season if there is a Central Division. Leave it. I'm going to go with Colorado. Yeah. They're pretty good. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Next up, will the Cardinals change their approach next year, even though their approach to bringing to having a hitting coach is diff- not different? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 804, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. All right, Michelle. Game 6, 2011, where were you? Downtown. I was living in Soulard at the time, Randy. I was with friends outside the stadium, and i watching the game. I will never forget, though, how quickly that moment of joy, watching David Freeze be the hometown hero and the Cardinals win the game, dissipated into pure fear and panic because I had to produce. I believe, if memory serves me correct, it was a Thursday that day. Mm-hmm. I had to produce for Bernie the next day, and the entire shape of the show changed. And I had to race home. I had to put together a show, book guests. And that's, I mean, it was an amazing moment. It was so great to celebrate with Cardinals fans and be there. But how quickly I had to switch into, I got to get home. I got to text the people. We've got to make this the best. Because think about it. That moment, everybody was riding high on that. When they turn on their radio the next day, we need to make sure that we had a show that could capture that and carry that feeling into the next day. So I felt a a tremendous amount of stress and responsibility and had to race home. So I had... I, I was watching the game from the auxiliary press box area in right field. The the uh, party suites in right field is where they put the auxiliary media for the postseason. And I committed to going on with Mike Bush afterwards at Channel 5, a couple blocks down the street. Sure. So Cardinals down 7-5, ninth inning. And I go to that tunnel area right outside where the Museal statue is on 8th Street. And so for the ninth inning, uh, the Cardinals are down the the one out two outs and so i leave before the triple so that i can get to channel five in time to be on with with mike because they've got their channel five has all of their news reporters out and coos is at the stadium so i'm thinking okay this is over and we're gonna talk for a half hour about the cardinal loss so i get to channel five uh just as the ninth inning ends and so I, I'm, I, I watched it from the Channel 5 Sports Office. Interesting. It was not interesting. It was... I, 
I left Michelle. I know. I'm and I had to. Interesting for me, Randy, was, ooh, I bet you regret that one. That was uh, availed. I bet yeah. you regret that one. Interesting. Uh, from the 573, I was working in master control in the state of Maryland and had it on a backup monitor going absolutely nuts by uh, myself. It, it was the coldest night ever. <laughs> how did you, side note to you, Randy, yes. how did you do a show after that? Because what do you even say other than, I can't believe what just happened. Oh, my God. How do you turn it oh, into yeah. broadcaster mode? Let's recap the game. Let's look forward. Well, and, and you you are adding perspective. Biggest moments ever. Biggest yeah, yeah, biggest, right. biggest event, biggest moment in Cardinal history. I, I, I believe I took that approach, but it was kind of surreal. It was it was strange for, obviously, every, strange in a great way for everybody. From the 314, I had just woke up and couldn't believe they were still playing. I fell asleep when they were losing late. Oof. That's from Jake. Here's a mic drop from Alec. So I was watching this game as a freshman in college. I was roommates with an old high school friend of mine. Um, we both played baseball together in high school and in college. We had a redneck friend who wanted to go viral, so he was recording us watching this. Uh, with all these Cardinals fans around. And we all know what happened that night. Well, he got our reactions, and the fun part was the Cardinals, I guess, picked it up and implemented it in their reaction video montage that they played at the beginning of each Cardinals game. So real fun story there and a great memory. That is great. That is so cool that you're now in the video for the Cardinals as part of that moment. That's amazing. Thank you, Alec. This from the 314. I was in my living room watching the game with my husband, spent most of the late innings watching with my eyes half covered, peeking out and praying. After the home run, I slid open the back door, went out in my yard and screamed as loud as I could. Unreal night. That's from Sharon and Glencoe. Isn't that... We talk about the physical reaction that we have mm-hmm. as fans when something like that happens. We remember physically what it feels like in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final when the Blues finally win. When David Freeze hits that walk-off, you feel you black out. You can't you can't even process what's happening. You feel like your heart is going to explode mm-hmm. out of your chest. Your adrenaline goes through the roof. And isn't it amazing that a moment like that can have a physical effect on us in the way that it does? Yeah, it's, it, it's the great thing about sports is that we can be so emotionally invested. You use the term blacked out that you can literally physically black out because of something that happened in sports. Your brain is so happy. It's short circuits. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's phenomenal. Uh, it's what keeps us coming back, yeah. Randy. Here's Todd with a mic drop. I was sitting in section 167 down the third baseline and in about the seventh inning when it was seven to four, everybody in the row in front of me had left. So some standing room only people had come down and were sitting in the row in front of me. And when Freeze hit that home run, 60-something-year-old man turned around with tears in his eyes and hugged me, who I'd never met before. So this is the greatest game I've ever been to. That is another thing about sports. When we're in normal times and once we get our vaccine, the greatest thing about sports is that when you are in that community in the stands that you can turn to somebody that you've never met or seen before and it doesn't matter who they are what their background is what their race or religion or creed is but you hug them because you can all agree that your sports team is awesome yeah Everybody that is cheering for the birds on the bat is a collective in that moment. It's not, oh, we differ on this. It's we won. We, we won. Right. 
Uh, another text, 65780 from 314. For game six, I was in a packed sports bar in Grapevine, Texas, with about 500-plus Rangers fans. Ooh. I wouldn't let my buddy leave in the eighth when it looked bleak. We got booed out of the bar in a friendly way. My buddy thanked me on the way home. I'm surprised it was in a friendly way. That's well, they don't really care that much. If it would have been the Cowboys. Yeah, that's true. That's it true. It would have been different. Hey, we do appreciate all of your texts and your mic drops, and we'll keep going with these throughout the course of the show. Uh, here's one more from the 314. Good morning. Love the show as always. Unfortunately, when David hit that home run, I was in prison watching the game. He hit it during uh, count time, and we were supposed to be quiet during count. The place went nuts. Good memory of a bad place. I have a lot of follow-up questions to that. Mm-hmm. If you're supposed to be yeah. quiet, what then you, and, and, what you in for is my first. Yeah, okay. okay, that's a good question too. But I'm wondering if you're celebrating in that moment. Do the people who are supposed to be guarding this situation do they allow it because of what happened? Do they say, "Okay, wow, this is great," or then do you get punished after that? So this moment of joy is then followed by something that stings. Yeah, six five seven eight zero. If you yeah, follow can, up, yeah, just Let follow us know up about prison protocol. We got to get a couple more. Uh, from 314 still lived at home my dad had given up and went to bed I had to run in my dad's bedroom to wake him up after freeze hit the triple still my favorite time celebrating with him heart good memories that's fantastic again it has this physical reaction to our bodies we're connected to strangers but these are the things that we remember too about our families those are the moments I will never forget celebrating the Stanley Cup championship with my dad and all the games that I had watched my entire life blues games that he had taken me to and what it meant and how that all culminated into that moment this is what we remember this is what we do here right sports are the best sports are this is really interesting because this is from a different texture. And Jack Buck and Dan McLaughlin talk about how they broadcast to people who baseball is their connection to the world. So this is a separate text. I was in prison in Moberly, Missouri. That World Series home run was one of the things that got me through my time there. I was cheering and yelling at the top of my lungs during game six and after game seven. Of course, it was great. So, and then just got another text. So you got more than one text from someone that was in prison? Yes, we did. Isn't that interesting? That is. And how cool is that? That a cardinal moment could help somebody help get, get through. through a really tough time. Yeah, it, it's sensational. So, and we're glad that you are out and doing well now and listening to the show. An update on prison protocols from the 618. I work in a prison. You just let people celebrate. You can't punish everyone. And that's good to hear. Yeah, especially when it's sports. And if, if it's in Missouri or in Southern Illinois, uh, that should be the case. Do you think that, that the people that are working in the prison and the prisoners are celebrating together, do you think that the, the collective I spoke about also applies to that moment in prison? I do believe that that's the case. Because as we mentioned, it it really doesn't matter who you are at that point. You are a sports community, right? Especially as you said, if you're in Missouri, you're probably yep. all Cardinal fans. Yep. Hey, thanks for your text. We're going to get to Travis Ford, the Billiken basketball coach, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
All right, we are efforting Travis Ford, the Billiken basketball coach. Michelle, you just got another text, though. Yeah, so another text from the 314. We were we were talking about memories of David Freeze's home run, Game 6, 2011 World Series. And we had several people who had texted in saying that they were in prison at that time and mm-hmm. how they were celebrated in prison. And someone else texted in, unfortunately, I was also in the clink. And the guards were louder than the inmates. And, yes, they celebrated with the guards. So the community aspect of sports applies even in prison. It does. And this from the 314. Celebrating with inmates depends on the security level of the facility. I worked in two military prisons. Camp Pendleton was a recline facility and very strict. Miramar was a rehabilitation facility and much more relaxed. All right. Thanks for your texts. And uh, we're glad that you people are out and leading productive lives. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And our friend, the coach of the Billikens, Travis Ford, joins us on Carriker and Smallman on your home of the Billikens, 101 ESPN. Coach, great to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? Oh, doing great. Good morning, guys. Doing wonderful. Thank you. Well, let's start with this because you're off and running in practice. How's everything going? You know, things are going well. Uh, you know, we've been practicing now for about a week and a half. Um, you know, things are a little different that, you know, we don't have locker rooms and things like that right now. But, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, all the things that are going on, things have gone pretty well. We're, you know, s- scheduled as of right now to start the season first game around November 25th. We'll, we'll see if that happens. There's been a lot of things transpiring in the last couple of days that uh, I kind of foresee that could change possibly. Um, but, you know, we're just taking it one day at a time. Guys are working hard. You know, we've got so many returning players. Practice is going pretty smooth at this point. Change for the earlier or change for the later, your perception of what's happened in the last couple of days? Yeah, I'd say uh, there's a possibility it could change for the later. Um, You know, the reason I say that, there was a big, um, you know, starting on November 25th, most teams in the country are going to uh, certain areas of the country and what some people are calling bubbles. I call it a pod because it's not bubbles. We're not going into a bubble. It's just a bunch of teams getting together and playing games. Uh, One of the larger ones was in Orlando, and it just uh, yesterday was the whole thing was canceled um, because of um, they couldn't agree to the protocols and the guidelines and a lot of different things going on. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. That could, you know, start a trend everywhere else, and we could possibly start the season later. But, you know, uh, I think a lot will be determined this week. Coach, what's that been like for you to really not know what's coming as the calendar turns? It's got to, it has to be pretty difficult to try and implement things and get the team in the place that they need to be with so much of the future uncertain. It is. It's interesting you say that. It's, it was the topic of our conversation, our staff meeting yesterday, because with so much uncertainty and you don't know, you know, you're hearing so many different things about is the season going to be pushed back? Could it be pushed back all the way to January? Uh, We're still, crazy as it sounds, we're still in the middle trying to put together a schedule. No different than every other team in the country. We're probably further along than 95% of them. We only have a couple more games to go. And we're, again, three weeks or so from when we're supposed to start. But with that uncertainty, as we talk about our team, we're trying to figure out how do you manage our team. If, if for some reason the season is pushed back, we need to slow down a little bit because you don't want to lose your competitive edge. Right now our practices are, are, are so extremely competitive. Uh, we don't want them to lose that 
physical or mental edge. So the, the sooner they can make a decision, and that's the biggest thing I think all of us coaches and everybody want, is let's just make a decision what we're going to do, stick with it, whether it's, you know, it can always change. But if we're going to push it off to a later date, the sooner we know the better just so we can manage our teams and, uh, you know, our players and make sure that, uh, you know, they're in the right frame of mind and, and things like that. Because right now we're going about five days a week practicing. That's a lot if we're not going to play till January. Has it helped, Coach, having such great senior presence on this team with Goodwin, French, and Perkins being back in the mix? Uh, it makes all the difference in the world. Um, you know, again, practices right now, I don't, you know, every time, you know, I can bring up a play or one of our defense, whatever it may be, and our guys can get right to it because uh, we only have three or four newcomers, and they're just kind of figuring it out as we go along. And they're learning from Goodwin. They're learning from French and, and all these guys. We've said, you know, during these crazy times where we all, you know, were away from each other, you know, for three to four months, and then we all kind of got back together, you know, I think hopefully uh, the advantage will go to experienced teams like we have. Um, Whereas if you have a lot of newcomers, a lot of new players, you know, your time is a little bit more limited than it has been in the past. So we're 100% going to lean on, the leadership of Jordan Goodwin, French, Fred Thatch, Javante Perkins. Um, and, you know, that uh, for me, that's that's pretty good. Jordan Goodwin might be the best leader I've ever coached. And he's proven that over the last couple of weeks. He's done it before. But the last couple of weeks, we have just been amazed by his energy and practice every day. And it is so contagious to every other player on our team. Our practices are totally dictated on Jordan Goodwin. If he's coming in like he 99% of the time is high energy talking, leading by how hard he plays, leading by talking, then everybody else just follows. Coach, that must be something in the water of Belleville Altoff because Michelle Smallman <laughs> is a Belleville Altoff grad. And same way, she's the leader of this show. <laughs> I totally understand. <laughs> Coach, it must be. you just mentioned some names, and I'm going to add Jimerson coming back, and we'll get to Bell and Hargrove. But this, for the first time, you don't have to lean, it doesn't seem like, on newcomers. There's always, it's a, the old line, it's always something, has applied for a few years. This is the first time, it seems like, since you came here, where you've really had that staggered group of seniors, juniors, sophomores, freshmen, where you can really put together a unit. No, absolutely. Uh, and that's one of the reasons there's you know so many expectations for this team, is we do have so many players returning, and you know, we got kind of hot last year at the end of the year, uh, and we're playing extremely uh, well, probably as well as anybody in the country late in the season. Um, so, the, so obviously the expectations. But, yeah, it, uh, you know, when you have any time in college basketball, I believe now, or even college sports, but basketball more than any because it, a lot of kids are leaving to go early to the NBA, different things like that. Anytime you can return experience, now, proven experience. Uh, the, the experience needs to be proven if you're going to, you know, have those high expectations. And we do have guys that have played in the system, have proven themselves, played at a high level. But what also is interesting about our team that get one thing that gets me excited uh, for now and the future is 
out of over way over half of our team are underclassmen. Um, they put a new rule in about a week and a half ago that every player, every basketball player, Division One player, gets another year of eligibility. So basically, eligibility-wise, this is a wash year. So if you're a senior, you're really a junior. If you're a freshman, you're really a prep school player, whatever you want to call wow. it, or a senior. So right now, eight of our fifteen or eight of our thirteen scholarship players, eight of our thirteen are freshmen or below, based on the new eligibility rules. Um, and out of those eight, you know, uh, probably five of those are some of those experienced players, like a Jimmy Bell, T.J. Hargrove, Yuri Collins, Gibson Jimerson, Fred Thatch, are proven players. And then we have some freshmen that uh, are are on our team right now that are uh, freshmen we're really high on, uh, very high on right now. So that gets excited about the balance of our roster uh, from top to bottom. It's not just because we have experience. It's not all just senior laden. We do have some players in that freshman, sophomore class that uh, will be coming up through the ranks that can hopefully continue to keep us very competitive at the highest level. And Travis, Jimmy Bell Jr. is, to me, the, the essence of why you guys get into this business to to mold a player and a young man. Here's a guy that hardly played basketball before he got to you last year. and We talked about, okay, what's he going to become after his freshman year? So what's the development of Jimmy Bell Jr. looked like? Well, Jimmy Bell... Um, is what, uh, as a coach, it's easy uh, to mode. Jimmy Bell wants to be mode. He wants to be coached. He comes in with an incredible, ridiculous attitude every day. I'm talking about just smiling, top-notch, tell me what to do, coach. I want to get better. Do I need to lose more weight? I'll lose more weight. Do I need to jump, work on my free throw? I'll work on my free throw. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Just, you know, the one of the most coachable pleasant young man I've ever been around. And because of that, he is going to have great success. And right now, you know, he's been nursing a little bit of an injury. He's been out for a couple of weeks. We hope to get him back in about a week. Uh, Nothing too serious. Uh, We're just trying to take it slow uh, with him. So he'll be back, but no question. He gave it. He started getting better and better at the end of the year last year, and somebody who's going to make a major impact on our team. But just one of the most coachable young men I've ever been around. And uh, I would be remiss if we didn't ask about Fred Thatch because things were touch and go with Fred last year, right? So to have him back on the court must be really heartening. Yeah, very much so. It's great to just see him out there and playing again and enjoying the game and being healthy. Uh, you know, last year was a tough year for him, uh, as much physically as mentally, because you went for so long not knowing exactly what was going on. Uh, he was obviously cramping up, doing some different things that held him out pretty much for the whole year, uh, trying to figure it out. He is back. He's back 100%, playing at a high level, hasn't missed a practice. Uh, same thing with Gibson Jimerson. You know, Gibson missed a. Uh, uh, over a little bit over half the season last year, he's back 100%. His uh, his foot is healed, and he's doing a, such a, a great job every single day. Coach, we're looking forward to the season whenever it might start. We can't wait. We're really excited about your team and excited about uh, you having a, a great year here in St. Louis. Thanks so much for the time. Oh, guys, thanks for having me on. I always enjoy it. Appreciate it very much. All right. Well, that is Travis Ford, head coach at St. Louis University on 101 ESPN. I can't wait for college basketball to start. It's going to be great. And this team has a chance to be really, really good. Yes, they do. It's
in terms of the the unit that they've put together, you hate to say it has a chance to be the best Billiken team that we've seen in my life. But it does. They've got all the elements to to be really, really good. Jimerson can hit a three, as he mentioned, the leadership of guys like Jordan Goodwin. Shout out to Belleville Altoff and, and Hassan French. Uh, you, you think about a guy like Perkins, who was their second leading scorer last year. They've just got uh, Yuri Collins is going to be a sophomore, their point guard. They've just got a lot of really neat elements on that team. They do, Randy. And as you mentioned, shout out to the 618. It's just Altoff is a factory of talent. Did you know Courtney down the hall, Courtney Landrum, also an Altoff grad? I did not know Jordan that. Goodwin, Kevin Lish, me? I mean, yeah. here we go. <laughs> It's amazing. I'm far down on that list. (laughs) No, you aren't. Coming up, we've got The Fight coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Carriker and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Welcome back to Carragher and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.36 in the morning. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It is time for the fight. And Sean is Randy's opponent on this Tuesday. Good morning, Sean. Morning, guys. How are you feeling today, Sean? Are you ready to take on Randy? I'm going to try. My dad's listening, so I need to win. Shout out to Sean's dad. What's your dad's name? John. John. All right. John, this one's for you. Yeah, so don't pressure Sean. Yeah, good luck, Sean. We were talking today about uh, where you were at in Game Six when David Freeze hit that home run. Where were you at? On the couch at home for a second until I stood up. Sounds dramatic. <laughs> All right, John. Question number one: Who was the Cardinals' hitting coach when they won that World Series back in 2011? Was it Mark McGuire, John Mabry, or Hal McRae? Let's go with. Hal McRae. I think Mabry came on with Messini in 12. I'm not sure. We'll go with McRae. Okay, question number two for you, Sean. The Dodgers will look to win their first World Series since 1988. Who did they beat in that World Series? Was it the Oakland A's, the New York Yankees, or the Minnesota Twins? Uh, uh, Sorry, Dad. (laughs) Let's go with Oakland. Okay, question number three. The last Super Bowl win for the Pittsburgh Steelers was back in 2009. What was the team that they beat? Was it the Seattle Seahawks, the Arizona Cardinals, or the New Orleans Saints? 2009? Mm-hmm. Let's go with the Cardinals. And your final question, Sean. Where did Mitchell Trubisky play his college football? UNC, West Virginia, or the University of Miami? Uh, Let's go with West Virginia. Okay, we're checking the score here. Lots of confidence from you, Sean. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm hiding it. (laughs) Where's Randy? Maybe he's scared. Scared of facing Sean. Oh, here he comes. Here he's walking and trotting in, really. Randy, as you get settled, please say good morning to Sean and give a shout out, if you will, to Sean's dad, John, who's listening. Sean, good morning. Thanks for joining us. 
Glad to have you listening. Glad to have you playing. And to Sean's dad, John, thank you so much for listening to Character <laughs> and Smallman. We appreciate it. Good to uh, have you with us. Thank you. Okay, Randy. Sean, you doing all right? Yep, doing great. Good. Well, well, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> all right. He could either be doing great, terribly, or maybe moderate. Or not great. Or not great. All right, ready? Question number one. Who was the Cardinals hitting coach when they won the World Series in 2011? That would have been one Mark McGuire. Question number two for you, Randy. The Dodgers will look to win their first World Series since 1988 tonight. Mm-hmm. Who did they beat in that World Series? They beat, uh, let's see, Kirk Gibson hit that home run off of Dennis Eckersley of the Oakland Athletics. So I'm going to go with the Oakland Athletics in five. The last Super Bowl win for the Pittsburgh Steelers was back in 2009. Who was the team that they beat? They beat Kurt Warner's Arizona Cardinals. Mm, knew you would know that one. And your final question, Randy. Where did Mitchell Trubisky play his college football? North Carolina. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Don't worry, Sean. I am sure your dad is still proud of you, even though Randy <laughs> beat you four to two. Here's the answers. Uh, when the Cardinals won the World Series in 2011, their hitting coach was Mark McGuire, who famously told Tony Larusa to stick with David Freeze, that he could sense that he was coming on, and boom, it happened. The Dodgers beat the Oakland A's in 1988, which was when they won their last World Series. The Dodgers won that in five games. The Steelers beat the Arizona Cardinals in that Super Bowl back in 2009. Randy, do you remember the score? No, but I remember San Antonio Holmes scoring the winning touchdown. It was like, uh, what, 33-31 or something like that? I don't know. Close, 27-23. I remember the James Harrison uh, interception yeah, return for six at the end of the half. Crazy. And Mitchell, or Mitch Trubisky, depending on how you're feeling, did play his college football at UNC. He was there for three years, 2014 through 2016. Sean, Mitch, please. <laughs> yeah, Mitch. Mitch. Do you still call him Mitch or Mitchell? Which one? Which, uh, Mitch, pe- yeah. Because I just like to do that. Mitch, please. Yeah. Classic Randy. <laughs> Sean, thanks for playing. <laughs> thanks, guys. And uh, we appreciate you playing today, Sean, here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to get some more of your reaction. This is the anniversary of the David Freeze home run in Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. I was talking about to Mike Ryder about this. Yeah, nobody ever celebrates the 2004. Six World Championship that also happened on this day. Where were you when the Cardinals won the 2006 World Series? Yeah, exactly. We always think about that, David. But that's how special that moment was. was. Incredible. And what are the keys to a Rays victory tonight to force Game 7? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. More of your mic drops and texts coming up about where you were when David Freeze hit that famous home run to win game six of the 2011 World Series. It's Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle, we have a game six tonight. Now, it won't be as dramatic because we don't have fans in the stands. It'll be different. But Tampa Bay does have a chance to force a game seven. The question is, what do they have to do to force a game seven? And for me, this is actually pretty simple. And it's not something that happens in baseball these days. But Blake Snell needs to give them a really good starting performance. He needs to give them five or six innings where they still have a chance to get a hero late. So he the, the game 
number one, he can't turn it over to the bullpen in the second inning. And number two, they're going to have to be within a run heading into the seventh inning so that they have an opportunity because they just, the other night, notwithstanding with the the home run by Lau and the, the wild play to end game four, that's just not the sort of offense that the the Rays have. How about this one too, Randy? How about they get the third out? How about they close out hitters? I love this stat. In 16 games this postseason, the Dodgers have scored 57 runs and counting with two outs. That's amazing, isn't it? 57 runs and counting. But there's no such thing as clutch, Michelle. <laughs> no, not at all. There's no clutch, Gene. Tony Gonsolin starts for the Dodgers. And one of the things that you also want to do if you're the Rays is win the game by going through their bullpen and force them to use six or seven relievers. And obviously tomorrow night in a game seven, you know that Clayton Kershaw is going to be available. He won't be tonight, you wouldn't think. But you want to get to as many of their relievers as you can. Yeah, score early. Get on early. Make them pay. So that's the key for for Tampa is get into that bullpen and then have a chance, at least get a chance from Blake Snell to win it late. So basically, have the Dodgers use your bullpen mm-hmm. and don't use yours up. Are you expecting a big night from our friend Randy Rosarena? I am. Yeah, he, he seems to rise to the occasion. I thought it was interesting yesterday when Chris Singleton was on with the fast lane that he, he talked about how none of this seems too big for a Rosarena. And he said the the thing about Randy is the way he takes pitches. His hands are so good and so quick that he has great strike zone recognition. And he can tell when there's a pitch that he can drive or not most times. And it makes a huge difference. And and by the way, Chris Singleton said, no, he's not a fluke. He's going to be good for a long time. Oh, great. So that happens. I hope he's good for a long time because I enjoy watching him. And we benefited off of Lou Brock. I know that not all of us did, but St. Louis, the Cardinals, benefited off of trading Ernie Brolio for Lou Brock. So this is kind of payback for us. We, How about this? We got Jim Edmonds for Kent Bottenfield and Adam Kennedy. Matthew Libertor could still turn into a heck of a player. So let's not just count this trade dead just yet. Yeah, right now it's painful. Okay, right now it stinks. But it could also work out. I'm so appreciative of your sunshine lollipops attitude, Michelle. It's not sunshine lollipops. It's reality. What if Randy Rosarena, after this postseason, doesn't have a great career? And what if Matthew Libertor does? What if he becomes a dominant force for the Cardinals? You never know. We have to let it play out. But yes, right now in the moment, it looks very lopsided. Yeah, that's the thing. We don't want to let it play out. (laughs) We just want, we want to live in the moment. Yeah, That's we, what do. we do. Right now, we're miserable. All miserable. right, from 2011, October 27, 2011, Game 6 of the World Series, Cards and Rangers from the 618. A friend landed two tickets and asked me to go to the game. 30 minutes before we were to leave, he called and said his daughter was very upset that he didn't ask her first. I agreed that he should take her. And when the Cardinals tied it late, later, the first time in the ninth, he texted me saying, great game. Wish you were here. And he adds, we're still great friends. How cool that that father-daughter duo got to have that moment, though. That's something mm-hmm. that they're always going to remember, that they were there together. And what a good friend for saying, yes, you should take your daughter. It's a World Series game, but I think you should take your daughter. Every friend would say that. I don't know. I don't think there's anybody that would say, no, you can't take your daughter. You got to take me. You ask me first. I don't know. Who's, who's going to do that? There's some guys that might be like, hey, I'm in the Jersey. You're supposed to be here in 30 minutes. 
I called off my shift tonight. We're going. Oh, yeah. They're still not going. <laughs> They're not. The daughter always wins. Also from the 618 for the 2006 World Series, I was in Section 154, and the man next to us, uh, the men next to us were from MLB, and they weren't happy that it was only going to be four games. They were going to lose money from the series and uh, not playing enough games. So, and, and wound up going five. And yeah, I, I, Major League Baseball likes games series to go seven. Another one. I was living in Amarillo, Texas, so I watched it at a buddy's house with, house with 10 Rangers fans. They brought a cooler of champagne out to start the ninth. It was never opened. Oh, that's, that's brutal. <laughs> Not for St. Louis, but what do you do with that champagne after that? You just break it, throw it out. If you lose, you just yeah, throw I, it out in the driveway. And, yeah, you never want to drink it. No. It was supposed to be celebratory. Now it's tainted and cursed. Yep. A mic drop from John. During game six, I actually went to sleep because I was working two jobs, uh, going back to school. So I waited until I graduated um, to watch that game and rewatched it and really enjoyed it. It was Good one to rewatch. Yes, it is. I've rewatched that a lot so since the start of the pandemic. It's been on a lot. It's, so. uh, we watched it on what would have been opening day. The Cardinals right. live streamed it. I watched it live. Um, when I first moved to Connecticut, sometimes I couldn't sleep and I would put that game on to feel closer to home. I would watch it on YouTube. Yeah. So that's neat. That's, that's pretty cool. Because like it's weird when you live yeah. somewhere and you're used to going to games and mm-hmm. being a part of something that's bigger than you, yeah. and then you move somewhere else where there's no games. I mean, shout out to Hartford Yard Goats, but we didn't <laughs> we didn't go to any games, and you're with people that are from all over that don't have the same sense of community. So sometimes I would just throw that on and be like, yeah, that was a good time. Did you ever go to Dunkin' Donuts Stadium? I did, and it's a great stadium and a great time. Do they have Dunkin' Donuts there? Yeah, and they have okay. great food, too. Okay. Good barbecue, good, good pulled pork stuff. Yeah, yeah we uh, we actually had a, a night there. So a guy that worked on our show, Outsider Mike, mm-hmm. um, he got to throw out the first pitch. So oh, it was cool. Outsider Mike night at the ballpark, and the whole squad went. Our whole radio department went, and it was really beautiful stadium. Yeah, I have a nephew that pitched for them a couple of years ago. Said that they really treated their players well, and yeah. it was a pretty cool place to be. Yeah. Here is Will with another Rhino Shield mic drop. 2011 Game 6, I was on the Coca-Cola party deck. The section above that uh, blacked out advertisement sign above the grassy area where the ball landed. And every single time that home run is replayed, I am on TV. Can't really tell it's me. I can. But I show all my friends. I tell everyone that's my greatest moment in my sports history (laughs) because I'm on TV every time they replay that home run. And gosh, that was that was just the best. That's fantastic. What a bird's eye view. Your national TV debut, too. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty. And can you good imagine from, from watching it from that angle as it's coming towards you? That's just unimaginable. So cool. Yep. Uh, from 407, I was watching the game in Orlando, Florida, and just could not believe it when it went down to one strike away. And that legendary call from Joe Buck, we'll see you tomorrow night. He said it gave me goosebumps. Anytime I hear that, it gives me goosebumps. You you can call it word for word. You can know his mm-hmm. cadence and his delivery, and it doesn't matter how many times you hear it. It still brings you back to that moment. Here's one from the 314. My daughter fell asleep on me as I was holding her. He hit the home run. I never cheered so quietly, and I stood up slowly. Good for you. Yeah, that's you're the real MVP. I don't know how you were able to contain that. Yeah. Uh, from the 314, I was in college watching it at a friend's house. He had to run out for a volunteer firefighting call, so I was watching it with his girlfriend. He came running up. Uh, 
and they hold on here. Let me get the last part of this. Uh, okay. He, he came running back in as Freeze swung, and we were screaming, and I was crying because I cry when I'm happy. Uh, the rain out allowed me to get home from school to watch Game 7 with my family. What good timing. And yeah. his friends returned. You get back home just in time to see maybe the biggest moment in Cardinal history. Not bad. Not bad. Good timing. Yeah. Where does that rank for you as far as home runs or moments in Cardinal history? Is it number one? It's number one, yeah. Number one. Yeah, I it's almost unfair, and we're going to do a poll later in the week. It's almost unfair to put that in a poll of three other things. I agree. So, Because that's number one. So maybe we should have the, the poll be number two. What's it's, what's the second greatest moment in Cardinal postseason history? It's just it's too good. You're down to your last strike twice. You've got the hometown hero who does it. It's at Bush Stadium. You've got the other hometown guy, Joe Buck, with the call as an homage to his father who mm-hmm. meant so much to St. Louis. It just has every possible aspect that plays to St. Louis. All right. Scotty, what do you got for us here? Yeah, so I was actually at game six too, Randy, mm-hmm. and that was incredible. I remember 15-year-old me being there so cold, and I was just convincing myself, well, wow, I'm going to actually see a team win the World Series tonight. And I was making myself feel like, okay, if the Rangers win, at least I get to see that in person. It's going to be pretty cool. <laughs> and then when Freeze hit it, obviously just an incredible overjoy of moment for me but I remember getting to the 10th inning I go to the bathroom Josh Hamilton hits the home run I think oh my gosh I just missed the game winning <laughs> World Series home run and then when Freeze hits it it's just you know it's next worldly it was amazing okay was- but an extras how do you decide then to go to the bathroom I think you just have to stick it out you got to go. You got to go. Massive mistake. Massive mistake. A- you could have you missed the freeze home run. Yeah. And I, I remember I just wanted to leave my seat because I was so I was 15. I was with a buddy of mine and I had a bunch of these drunk dad, drunk men around me yelling at me to keep standing because Love we were going to do dads. good. And I was like, I got to get away from these guys just for a little bit. So I went to the bathroom just to kind of catch my breath and calm down. Those guys were having the time of their life. Yeah, they were. <laughs> yep. Coming up, today's big thing. Guess what this date in Cardinal Postseason history includes? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, it's time for today's big thing, World Series Game 6 tonight here on 101 ESPN. The Dodgers trying to wrap up their first title since two, since uh, 1988. That's the first last time that they won the World Series. They'll pitch Tony Gonsolin, and he'll be opposed by Blake Snell of Tampa. It is time now for... 101 ESPN presents this date in Cardinal postseason history. Looking back at the journeys to 11 world championships. Brought to you by Woods Basement Systems, the highest rated, most reviewed, all things basement experts. WoodsBasementSystems.com on 101 ESPN. It's October 27th, and we're running out of these things. On October 27th of 2006, the Cardinals wrapped up the 2006 (laughs) World Series. Game 5, fourth inning, a couple of one-out singles brought the Cardinal pitcher Jeff Weaver to the plate. to Verlander, the plate of third, and the throw. Another error by a Detroit pitcher. This game is tied, and it's second and third with only one out. And next up was the World Series MVP, David Eckstein. Eckstein hits it to short. A run scores, throw to first out. Cardinals lead 3-2. Cardinals scored another run, and then in the ninth inning, brought in Adam Wainwright, the rookie, for the save. For the first time since 1982, St. Louis has a World Series winner. 
And we forget that because of other things that happened on this date. But you mentioned it when we interviewed David Eckstein earlier about all the errors by the pitchers in that series, in that Uh, game. Four of them. Crazy. Unbelievable. And then Granderson didn't even get charged with an error when he fell on David's double. Yeah, it, it was a crazy World Series. And a lot of people think, and I would tend to agree, that the Tigers were hurt by having such a long layoff. The Cardinals had to go seven against the Mets. The Tigers swept the White Sox in the ALCS, and they were just sitting around for a week before they played game one of the World Series. It worked to the Cardinals' advantage. Mm -hmm. All right, October 27th, 2011, game six of the World Series against the Rangers. And I don't know if you knew this, but the Cardinals were losing this game. (laughs) They were down seven to five in the ninth with two out and two on for the St. Louisan. Just when you thought it couldn't get any more unbelievable. (laughs) It was incredible. All right, Texas got a home run by Josh Hamilton in the top of the ninth, the one that Scotty Benziara did not see. (laughs) Cardinals scored one on a ground out in the bottom of the inning, and with two on and two out and two strikes, Lance Berkman. Tying run at second base. It's 9-9. He had a huge World Series. It was fantastic. He easily could have been the MVP. Yes. And then Joe, as he does better than anybody, let the pictures tell the story for about 40 seconds and then said, they just won't go away. (laughs) Those pesky Cardinals, they just won't go away. So he had it so w- many good calls in that game. It was fantastic. So it was tied at nine to start the 11th. Breeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. How do you not smile when you hear that? I get goosebumps still. Still. I- I've heard that thing more than 100 times. Oh, hundreds. And I, I-, I still get goosebumps. It's perfect. It's the perfect call. It's the perfect St. Louis Cardinals moment and the perfect call. And the great thing about Joe, and I I watched a little Twitter compilation of different calls of Saturday night, game four, and Joe's was far and away the best. And it's because he's, his mind works so quickly. You can't plan something like that to pay homage to your dad at home in St. Louis. You you just don't plan that. But when the ball's in the air, he thought of it. And it wound up being such an iconic call here. And you think about how difficult that is to be watching a moment like that happen and be be processing in your brain and speaking at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you're calling what's happening, thinking about your dad, saying the line that you know will apply to this moment and the next game. It, it was so good, and he is so good. And he will be on the call tonight. So that is what happened on this date in Cardinal history. Michelle, here's what we're going to do tomorrow. We've got Game 7 of the 06 or 11 World Series. Mm-hmm. So that's the only date we have. That's the latest the Cardinals have ever played is October 28th of 2011. Then Thursday and Friday, we're going to do 
and we're going to do Twitter polls, mm-hmm. the top moment in Cardinal postseason history. And I think we both agree that we will leave Freeze out of it because we know that's number one. So we'll have four moments for you to choose from. And then the greatest single game feats in Cardinal postseason history. And the Cardinals have had some remarkable postseason feats. So we'll do those votes as we approach the end of this week. When you think about that David Freeze moment, we agree it's the pinnacle of Cardinal moments in the postseason. Is that a good thing that we we recognize that nothing will ever beat this, knowing that anything else that follows is going to always be second place? Or do we cherish the fact that we got to see it? For me, it's a good thing because I experienced it. Mm -hmm. I would rather have that be the moment rather than Ina Slaughter's mad dash, which I know I wasn't around for, or Ken Boyer's Grand Slam in the 64 World Series. I prefer it to be a moment that I experienced. And I also am glad that our greatest moment, up until last year, remember, the Blues' greatest moment, the Monday Night Miracle, occurred in a series that they did not win. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that the greatest moment occurred in a World Championship Series. And based on the Cardinals' history and their success that they've had as an organization, we can all guess that they're going to win another World Series. Yeah. This is just what they mm-hmm. do for as tough of a time as we as a community give them sometimes because we get frustrated with the product. We know that eventually it's going to pay off and they're going to win another World Series. And I wonder who's going to be the next David Eckstein and the next David Freeze for this Cardinals team. Who's going to be the guy that shows up in the World Series and gives you an unbelievable performance? Hopefully it's Dylan Carlson. Hopefully. And you make a, an interesting point because You look at the 06 World Series. It's great to win a World Series, but what's the memorable moment from that World Series? It was kind of nondescript. The Cardinals won in five. The greatest drama was the Tigers throwing the ball all over the yard. Mm -hmm. So there really wasn't that moment in that series where you say, okay, that was really memorable, aside from just winning the World Series, which is fantastic. So to have that moment in a World Series, the Rays fans will always remember Saturday night and the way that they won. The Dodgers have some great history. The Yankees have more than anybody with the Tino Martinez and Jeter and Babe Ruth and so many classic moments. The For the rest of time, I would think that Diamondbacks fans are going to remember Luis Gonzalez. Base hit to center field in 01. There's a lot of teams that don't have that, but you can have a World Series where you don't have that too. That's true. That so, is true. So fortunately for us, uh, we did get to experience it, and that will be number one forever. That's today's big thing, and this day in Cardinal postseason history. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, it's time for... You're killing me, Small! Michelle. Randy, last... Or, excuse me, yesterday... I, you know me in these days. With, with in the they all run they together. They all run together. But this was yesterday that we had our four down segment and we talked about the Patriots and their struggles, specifically that of Cam, Cam Newton, who was benched in the Patriots' 33-6 to loss to the 49ers. But he was on with WEEI yesterday. He was pretty open about, the, about what happened and how he was feeling. And he says, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm embarrassed by the way that I've been playing. I'm, I'm a realist. But yet through it all, I, I, I knew there was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coachable. I didn't want to put up a, you know, how how bad would that have been? Like, no, I'm not coming. You know, uh-uh. <laughs> uh, that would have probably been embarrassing. But he uh, he came and said, 
you know, Stidman said uh, finisher, and I agreed, and 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 that that's what it was. It, it was, you know, for any any type of competitor, do you feel embarrassed? Yeah, yeah, and and I am as 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 honest as I could possibly be right now. Uh, but yet it, it 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 tells you, and the first thing I said, you know, to myself coming home, I said, you keep playing games like that, bro, and it's going to be a permanent change, and. You know, so wh- whatever type of way that we we have to motivate ourselves, I'm 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 honest with myself. So that that leaves no type of miscommunication with others. And you know, when the when, when the change happened, you know, I'm I'm stuck on the sideline, you know, listening to, to plays and saying to myself, like, listen, is this really, you know, how you want to, you know, do things? Are you this is how you want things to be done? And and until you make that step to get better as you have been harping on these last couple of weeks, then that's what it's going to be. I have a, a greater appreciation now of Cam Newton than I ever had before. He seemed like he was, for example, after they lost, after Carolina lost that World Series, or World Series, the Super Bowl, <laughs> to Denver. Yep. And he walked out of his press conference. He, he seemed rather immature. He seems like, whether it's because of the injuries and what he's had to deal with, or maybe it's arriving in New England and being humbled, he seems like he's a lot more mature. And I appreciate the honesty. And having the quarterback come on the day after game, boy, brings back memories of how Sam Bradford used to come on our station all the time as the the voice of the St. Louis Rams. And you talk about the, the previous day's game and what was coming up. Those were the days. Did that happen ever? No, Michelle. Not once. <laughs> Not once. But with Cam Newton, when he walked out of that presser, I think the two things tie together. He is that competitive. I thought about him as a competitor in that moment. You just lost the biggest game of your life, and that doesn't mm-hmm. sit well with you. So, yes, you don't want to answer. I know it's part of the job, but I always looked at that as I understand in the moment as a competitor how difficult that would be. And for him to still have that same mentality and be so honest and transparent, mm-hmm. because that's what radio is is we are a vessel for people and athletes to be able to talk about what happened in the games to the fans. So the fact that he understands that and went on WEEI and was so honest about his feelings and saying, hey, I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, bro, if you continue to play like this, this benching is going to be permanent. If you're a fan, and well, I don't know if Boston fans will ever appreciate anything, but you have to appreciate <laughs> at least his approach there. A logical fan has to appreciate that. And how, how can you take a shot at what he said, unless your shot is going to be, yeah, you shouldn't have been playing anyway, they should have been playing Stidham. Unless that's your thought process, uh, how can you complain about what he said? You're killing me, Smalls. Well, Randy, some people did take a shot at Cam Newton, and it's might, it might not be what you think. So during NBC Sports Bay Area's post-game show, because the Patriots were playing the 49ers, former NFL quarterback Jeff Garcia had a theory as to why Cam Newton might be playing this way. You go into this game, two touchdowns, four interceptions, you throw, what, three more interceptions, you get yanked in the second half, there's nothing good going your way. Why are you dressing like that to bring more attention to yourself? I'd be trying to ask the equipment managers, put me in your jock sock cart and sneak me in the back door and I'll show up on the field and do the best that I can. This just goes back to a couple years of just watching this guy and seeing him at the podium. But yet what he's doing on the field does not translate to being that guy. Yeah, I I have trouble believing that the suit that you choose equates to the quality of play that you're going to deliver. 
Oh, so you're telling me that the reason he threw those interceptions wasn't because he wore a fedora to the game? You're, t- you're trying to tell me, Randy, that the fedora didn't have a direct correlation to the way that he played the game. I can see how you could make that connection, Michelle. I'm just not going to, I'm not going there, as Coach Spaggs would say. If that is the case, then how the hell does Bill Belichick ever win a game? Have you ever seen his hoodies? Yes, I have. Well, they aren't the most glamorous or stylish thing in the world, right? Jeff Garcia, how does he win? No, I think he's saying that people like Belichick who, you know, only care about sweatpants and Crocs, they are more focused on the game. And so they do win. But Tom Brady, I think, has debunked that myth a long time ago. Mr. Uggs wearing a suit. He's worn a fedora. Yeah, he's worn a lot of stuff. Everyone is entitled to their opinions, but that is one of my least favorite takes of all time. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, oh, this pitcher's hairstyle, they need to worry less about their hair and more about the game. Or, oh, you're wearing capris to your po- to the podium post game. Well, that's why you didn't play well. The things are not connected. And a lot of times, I, I remember one time, I think we talk, talked to Tom, it was either Tommy Pham or Colton Wong about this. And they said, yeah, you know, when you look good, you feel good. Mm-hmm. And when you feel good, you play good. So sometimes, yeah, maybe it gives you a little bit more confidence heading into the game. Do you think that LeBron James has ever worn clothing that draws attention to himself? Yes. I think he's doing okay. I think he is too. I think a lot of NBA players do yeah. that. Just because you care about what you look like doesn't mean you're less committed to your job. No. And there's nothing wrong with wearing things that draw attention to you. That's a huge part of the reason that fashionistas wear clothes, men and women, because they do like drawing attention to what they're wearing. Well, Cam Noon actually heard about this criticism. And again, in this interview with WEI, he responded to Jeff Garcia's comments. Well, you know what's crazy? I agree with him. And the fact that, you know, he's a former player, you know, he has every right to say that. And until that happens, then so be it. But that's another opinionated, you know, theory. And it's it's fair to say. So, I mean, I know I come off to so many different people, so many different ways, and, and that's fine. And, and he's, he, you know what, he's exactly right. But <laughs> I'm not changing the way I dress. <laughs> Were you surprised by his reaction? Because I was. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know how that, uh, uh, that's incongruent to me, that he's exactly right, but I'm not going to change the way I dress. Because it sounded to me like, and I thought you took this out of it too, that Jeff Garcia was trying to connect the way that Newton dresses with his performance. Well, if Cam agrees with him, then shouldn't he dress differently so that his performance changes? Maybe. Or maybe he's saying, hey, you're dressing like you're the man. You need to play like it. And maybe that's the way Cam took it. Yeah, that might is, be. hey, if I'm going to dress like I'm the guy, I need to be the guy. But I appreciate that he's going to keep his style. Yeah, me too. You're killing me, Small. Okay, so another thing that we talked about in regards to the NFL season this week, Randy, was about all the drama that's going on with the Cowboys. People are questioning Mike McCarthy. They're questioning the identity and culture or the lack thereof within that Cowboys locker room. And people were wondering, hey, is Mike McCarthy really the right guy for the job? Do the Cowboys need to pull the plug on this, even though it's early, even though it's a weird season, even though Dak Prescott isn't there? And he's getting support, Mike McCarthy is, from the Jones family, from the the brass and the decision makers with the Cowboys. So Stephen Jones said this. He was on uh, 105.3 The Fan. And he says, I know we've got the right head guy for the job. It's a work in progress. These things just take time. I know our fans are frustrated. We certainly understand the criticism that's coming our way. So support for Mike McCarthy from the Jones family. Well, at least 
they understand that their fans are frustrated when they come out and say, yeah, we're going to keep this guy around because our team is underperforming. (laughs) Not every organization says that when they keep somebody who appears to have a group that's underperforming is kept around. But at least he went on the radio there and talked about it and defended their actions. Yeah, good for him. Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Coming up, Joe Buck is in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. He'll join us as he gets ready for World Series Game 6 tonight. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Into right, well hit. Back at the wall. It's off the wall. One run scores. Here comes Berkman. Freeze has tied it. 7-7. Unbelievable. Freeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. That was nine years ago today. Joe Buck on the call, as he will be tonight, freaks for Fox as the Dodgers try to put away the World Series against the Rays, Carriker and Smallman. And Joe is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Everything's good. It's interesting that you and I talk on the air a lot, but we don't talk to each other very often. We text a lot, and and I know you don't like to talk on the phone, and I don't like to talk (laughs) on the phone. It's kind of weird the two people that kind of talk for a living never really talk to each other. I think that's why, though, isn't it? I I, I feel like, you know, at the end of the day when I'm – but I mean it, at the end of the day, that's not like just a saying. At the end of the night, I'm just spent. Like, I'm so tired of talking that it's so much easier just to text, even – I'm sad to say with my wife, but uh, I, I I don't know why that is, but I would much rather text. If you want to get me and you want to get my attention, text me. If you want to uh, have me ignore uh, your reach out, then uh, call me. Joe, is that something that you have to be cognizant of, too, though, kind of preserving your voice? Because you're bouncing between all of these different assignments that you have. I would imagine after after the end of the night, not only are you exhausted, but you're probably thinking, hey, I've got to save these pipes for tomorrow. Yeah, you would think so. Um, I, You know, outside of my vocal issue that I had back in 2011, uh, I, I've, I've knock on wood not really experienced a lot of that. One time I had kind of a terrible case of, uh, of laryngitis going into uh, an NFC championship game in Philadelphia. And I had to get shot with a, some sort of uh, steroid to even be able to talk that night. But for the most part, I've never really dealt with uh, kind of the, the hoarseness that I think typically would come with using my voice a lot. In fact, I think the more I use it, the better it, it, it sounds, the, the stronger it feels, especially coming out of 2011, which, as you just reminded everybody, Randy, is nine years ago. I can't believe that Game 6 is nine years ago. It, it is amazing. And we've been uh, taking texts and people have been calling in all morning about where they were and what they were doing. Everybody in St. Louis was watching that game. Everybody in St. Louis remembers especially the last call. And you've told us before that's the best game you've ever seen. Does that include Game 4 on Saturday night? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think... Game six of 2011 had had so many twists and turns, and, and as we've talked about before, I mean the game ended. It started kind of in an ugly fashion. It wasn't it wasn't like a really airtight ball game, but 
by the end with the team facing elimination uh, to, to be down to their last strike twice and win the game in the 11th and have the St. Louis kid win it with a home run. Uh, I, it just it doesn't get any better. And, and then we've also said this before, but it is true that LaRusso telling me, and I'm sure everybody else, uh, before the game, if they don't win game seven, game six will be a nice footnote. Obviously, they win game seven. So, you know, game six was a way to a championship. And, man, it, it just – it just the baseball doesn't get any better. That's the beauty of this game. It's better than all the others when you, when you see that kind of drama – uh, with with individuals coming up, and it's a guy on the mound against a guy at the plate. May the may the better man win, and, and in that case, uh, the better man was David Freeze multiple times. One thing I noticed, Joe, when we listen back to your call from that game is just how loud the crowd was. And when we watch game four on Saturday, the drama of the moment wasn't impacted by the sparse crowd there. Your call was still perfect despite the roar of a packed stadium. But how is it for you to be in those moments and recognize as you look around you that it's not a packed stadium? Yeah, it's different. I mean, I've I've done games, I think, this year uh, with all different scenarios we've done two football games i think uh that have been just totally empty and then you know we've we've had just different levels of sizes of the crowd the difference for me is and and troy and i've talked about this a bunch of times we've done games in in totally empty stadiums that feel normal because of the mix that i have in my ears in the headset and and what they're doing in audio and adding in crowd noise and and making it feel not just like there's people there, but but like a realistic crowd noise that I think Fox is doing better than any of the other networks that I'm watching. So, you know, it, it, it's something as simple as, and, and it's simple on one hand and on the other is very complex, like doing a game where uh, we're in New Orleans and they throw a flag and then the official comes on and says pass interference defense, so it's against New Orleans, and there's a, there's a realistic booing that goes on uh, that, that you, you you it layers in so nicely, and they're doing such a good job with it that it feels all I can say the best compliment I can pay is that it feels like I'm in a, a full stadium, and yet as I look out, if I really paid attention to it, it's completely empty. So uh, it really hasn't felt that different to me. And for baseball to have 11,000, it's, it's amazing how uh, full 11,000 makes it feel after you do a game where there's zero people in the seats. Joe, even when Whitey was managing here, he advocated for a neutral site World Series just to make it a big week-long party for MLB. You're experiencing now that now, obviously, without the parties and without the fans. But in terms of the baseball, how have you enjoyed being in one place for the World Series? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, when people talk about my schedule and all this football and, and I've, you know, if, if it goes seven games uh, with Thursday football coming up this week, I will have done 17 games in 18 days. Uh, the, the easiest part of it has been the baseball because I'm not bouncing back and forth uh, and, and adding more steps to get to games because of, 
you know, it, it's going from city to city. So I, I, it's, it's been great, but, but I'm, I'm looking at it from a, a selfish standpoint. I, I, I disagree, you know, with Whitey and, and I, I like, you know, what typically happens, which is you go to each city, the place is absolutely packed. The fans make a difference here. You know, the home field advantage, the Dodgers are, are back to being the home team tonight. All that means is that they bat last. It, it, it doesn't have any feel like you're a Dodger stadium. And, and I think for any team, they want to win. You know, for an announcer, you want, uh, for the best sound, a home team to win a World Series. And, you know, th- this is all kind of manufactured. I, I, I like going to the different cities when things are, when things are normal. Uh, Joe, let's continue to look at this from a selfish lens. So here in St. Louis, as we watch the World Series, we're selfishly watching in misery as Randy Rosarena continues to be great. But can you believe that the Cardinals traded him? As you watch him play, do you just think, man, I can't believe the Cardinals made that move? I, I've, I've said it a couple times. I said it when <laughs> when he was playing in the ALCS and I was doing the NLCS. It's just it's it's stunning uh, to to see what the Cardinal outfield was all about last year. I mean, that's one of the least productive outfields that, that they've had in a long time. Uh, and to see what a Rosarena is doing. And it's not, it's not just the home runs. It's it, there. There's a life there. And I, I know, I know it comes after you get hot and now all of a sudden he's a, he's a presence in a lineup, but you can just look at his hands. You do not have to be, you know, some super scout to look at him and go, well, that's different, not just the, 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 than the Cardinal outfielders. That's different than the other guys he's taken batting practice with now uh, that are in the World Series. I mean, the ball just just explodes off his bat. He's got quick hands. He's strong. He's hitting the ball out of, out of the ballpark to every field. Uh, they theoretically have found out how to pitch to him, and he's still adjusting, so... I just can't, I don't know if it's analytics and somebody said, well, you know, X plus Y equals Z and, and this is the guy we got to get rid of. But I, I just, I can't imagine watching him at all. If he looked at all like this uh, and saying that this is the guy that, that should be thrown into a deal where it really felt like Jose Martinez was the bigger part of it. Uh, and, and, you know, as, as Matthew Libertor comes back to the Cardinals, uh, as somebody, you know, not in uh, the player personnel department said to me, he better be Randy Johnson uh, coming back because this guy's this guy's really good. And he has a chance to obviously do it again on the big stage tonight. I've reached a point in this series, Joe, where I really feel like I don't know what to expect. Do you feel like you have an idea tonight of what to expect? Not tonight. Um because Snell's really good, but he he hasn't pitched six innings uh, since July of last year. So his stuff's electric, but he will hit a wild streak, or they look for the first opportunity to go to their bullpen, and uh, and so you don't know who's coming out of there, and if that if that pitcher is going to be as good as the bullpen's been so far. And on the other side, you have Tony Gonsolin, who has got really good stuff, but he really has not pitched with any kind of regularity. So they're going to look for the first opportunity to get him out of there and start, start the parade out of the bullpen tonight too. So 
tonight is is a big X factor. I think the Dodgers hitting is way better than the Tampa Bay Rays lineup uh, right now. I mean, Seager, I've never seen him look anywhere like this. I mean, he's just locked in. Turner's been a big game producer for them. Uh, and then they've got certain guys in their lineup that just tend to pop up and, and win a ball game. I, I still would give the edge to the Dodgers. But then you look to tomorrow, if there is a game seven, and Walker Bueller right now is hands down an ace shutdown starter, and, and that's a distinct advantage if, if the games uh, end up going seven. And wouldn't you think if we get past Walker Bueller tomorrow and the Dodgers have a lead, wouldn't you think that we'll see Clayton Kershaw? Probably, yeah. Uh, for, you know, and with the new rule, and it came into play. Uh, two nights ago in game five where the reliever has to face either three hitters or finish the inning. Uh, you know, we, we had it the other night with Dustin May and he take, gets taken out and Victor Gonzalez comes in and you go, okay, well that's good for the lefty up now, but uh, it, it didn't really work out. They, they pinch hit a right-handed batter. That was Brasso. He walked not to get down into the weeds, but I, I think that, the Kershaw, because he will be set, it would be his side day. I, I think he'll be the kind of guy that can come in and finish an inning or, or face multiple batters is not just the typical lefty on lefty. So yeah, I, I think we'll see him and he's pitching great and he feels, he feels the best he's felt in October in a long time. And you know, the guy's four and one this postseason. His ERA is, I don't know, 2.88 coming into the game the other night. So I, you know, he's he's rewriting what is uh, an interesting narrative because the last time he pitched in the World Series, or let's say the first time in 2017, the Astros were cheating and, mm-hmm. and they knew what was coming. And, and that was the game where he blew two big leads of four and three runs. But now we know what was going on. So some of it is unfair. I think the one team that's had his number is the Cardinals. And and beyond that, uh, I think he's pitched pretty darn well. Hey, before we let you go, you've got two more football games coming up this week. So what's a typical day like in the hotel room? Is the hay in the barn for the World Series game? And are you working on football now? How does a typical day work for you? Yeah, I mean, I I get my scorebook ready and and the pitching matchup ready for each game before I go in. But I did that yesterday in the off day. And now I'm kind of concentrating on trying to figure out what the uh, what the Carolina Panthers and Atlanta Falcons, which has been a team that has just been heartbreaking uh, for the first chunk of the season here. That's Thursday. And then Sunday, uh, it's the Saints and the Bears. So I've, I've got plenty to do. And, uh, you know, it's been nice because I've, I've watched a little bit of those teams. I got to see them on Sunday. And then last night, watched the Bears uh, really unable to do anything against the Rams. So I, uh, I'm ready for that game for the most part. I've done both teams. So yeah, but it is more football now than it is baseball. And by the time I show up tonight, it's just kind of put the lineups in and and do my little numbers work, and then watch the game. We'll be watching. Thanks for taking some time with us. We always appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Joseph, you're the best. We will see you later. That's Joe Buck. He will have the call tonight on Fox, the Dodgers trying to win the World Series against the Rays. Think about how difficult that would be to have to go from game to game because you're retaining all of this information. And yes, he has notes and things that he 
carries with him that he can prep. But still, if you have baseball on the brain and then you have to switch to NFL with two different teams, it's got to be hard to compartmentalize that. And it's mental preparation more than anything else. For sure. And you're right. You do have to compartmentalize because he knows everything about every player on these teams Mm -hmm. and what they did in the previous games. But then on Thursday night, he'll be doing the Panthers and the Falcons and has to know everything about every player on those teams and what they did last week. It's a lot. Yeah, but... He enjoys it, and he's the best in the business. Yes, he is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Thanks to Joe Buck. And coming up, we'll cross things over with Danny Mac. Scoops with Danny Mac coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up at the top of the hour. And the question of the day, Daniel, on our show has been, well, it's kind of been unfair to 06 because it's been where were you for game six of the 2011 World Series. But this is also the anniversary of game five of the 2006 World Series that the Cardinals clinched the championship in. I was at that game. I was, In 2011, I was in bed. <laughs> so, uh, going nuts in both, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I remember waking up my... Uh, What's well the Albert home run against Lidge? My wife was really upset. <laughs> is the best way to put it. Air I was, upset. Yeah, I was, I was screaming and woke up um, our young son at the time. He was a little baby, and uh, she, what the hell are you doing? She was all upset. What, what's wrong with you? I said Albert just hit a home run. <laughs> so what? Shut up. Because he would never sleep anyway. Um, I was at game. Um, the Wainwright strikeout of Inge, and then I was uh, in bed for the uh, the the freeze home run. I was not at that. It was one of the only games I didn't go to. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, I most every other game I was at. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. It was just incredible. Just incredible. It was. Do, yeah. you, do you view that as a fan in that moment? You're in your bed. You're watching it at home, just like so many other people. Does it take you back to when you're not in the booth? I, I did a, a really fun thing yesterday with Brian Finch of the Cardinals Museum, and he was asking me about. So we were doing a thing for the the museum uh, members, and he was he did a a deal where they asked me about like just the top moments of this last year. And he said, are you a fan? And I said, essentially, and I said, yeah, at, at heart, I'm a fan. I'm still a fan of the Cardinals. I grew up here. How do you lose your fandom? Right. You know, you try not to be, you try to do the games somewhat down the middle, but with an eye towards the Cardinals. Cause this is the, this is the audience that I'm dealing with, like, dealing like, with, you like know, Jack right? wrote in his book, what do you expect me to do? Root for the Padres? Exactly. <laughs> I, and I'm from here and I love the Cardinals and Ozzy was my favorite player and all these things. So yeah, I'm, I'm still a fan. And, um, and then when the postseason gets here, I'm really a fan. Cause I, I'm not doing the games. I'm kind of, you know, my kids love the team. We go to the games. It's, it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's so much fun. One of the things I hate... I'm uh, being honest. No, yeah, of course I am. You're off duty at that hey, point. Right. That's what, I, I am a fan with access. And that's the only difference between me and a fan that doesn't have access is that I can go down and I can talk to Mike Schilt and ask him a question or I can go to the players and ask them a question about what happened. And that's then I become a conduit, hopefully, and ask the, the questions that you would hope that most fans would want answered. But I try to be, during the season, I really do try to be the media guy, though. I mean, mm-hmm. I, but again, part of being the media guy is who who am I working for? I'm working for the fan, mm-hmm. and the fan is the general audience that I'm dealing with are Cardinal fans. So my edge of my job is yeah. leaning towards 
talking about the Cardinals. The call is going to be for a Cardinal fan to get excited for them. So if the Pittsburgh Pirates walk off the Cardinals, I'm not going to be saying, and Polanco just walked out. I'm not going to be doing that. It's for the Cardinal fan. So, yeah, yeah, you're leaning towards the Cardinals. I wanted to get to the media because we we like effect. And not necessarily our shows, but as a group in the sports media. And I'm getting to Clayton Kershaw here because Clayton Kershaw, you can make an argument is the greatest starting pitcher of all time. When you look at his numbers relative to what everybody else is doing, uh, his peers at his time, you can make that argument during the regular season. And I've never thought he was a bad pitcher because he pitched during the postseason without a lot of success. But I do believe that for those of us that want Clayton Kershaw to be perceived as one of the all-time greats. I think this postseason, and one postseason is doing it for a lot of people, is showing people, yeah, okay, he can do it at this time of year, too. I would think, though, to be considered the greatest of all time, you got to have the full body, right? you got to have the resume of everything. So this helps. they got to win. So whether they do it tonight or tomorrow, which I do think this is going to go seven games. So I'll be back mm-hmm. on here tomorrow and probably be wrong. But I, I think it's going to go seven games. That's my Hope, that's my guess. Um, but I think you got to have the full body. I think you got to have that full resume so of doing it. the first guy that comes to mind for me then... Bob Gibson? Bob Gibson. Yeah. Because Glavin and Maddox were both under 500 pitchers in the postseason. Great. But Roger Clemens was not a spectacular postseason Let me pitcher. ask you this, though. If if Smoltz beats uh, Minnesota Mo- yeah, in that he, game six, does he then... Then, then do you look at them that that dynasty that they had? Do you look at him then being different? Because he had some great matchups, man, in the postseason. Yeah, I, I think he was one of the great postseason pitchers of all time. For me, the difference, and it should make Smoltz better, is that those years where he was a closer were taken away from right. him. Both both Gladick, Glavin and Maddox had a chance to win 300 games. Smoltz would have had he not been the closer Correct. for uh, several years. And to me, that wins still matter and winning 300 games matters. So, I think wins matter. Yeah, at the end of the day, you play to win the game. It's different now for sure because they don't stay in the games yeah. longer. It's even changed over the last five years. And I understand that ERA, and you can really dive into the numbers, make it a, a, a dynamic look at how you evaluate a pitcher. But I still believe in wins. I do. I just I, I know I'm in the minority probably with this, well, especially with our younger fans, but I still believe in wins. Here's the thing. If you're in the game long enough to get your team a win, you're doing something really good. Now, I would say this. If you're looking at Kevin Cash and Dave Roberts and probably uh, a lot of managers now, they're saying wins don't matter. Mm-hmm. Because they're they're pulling guys at four and two-thirds. Right. 21 There's, hitters for Kershaw. Right. So... Maybe they don't matter that much, but when you look at it in the scheme of things, if a guy gets a win, it just adds to the resume. And for our current purposes, we're looking historically. Correct. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's then a good way to put it. It's a, a, it's a different, the, the game was managed differently right. when those guys were pitching. But Agreed. I, I do think if, you, if you're looking for that entire package of incredible success, dominance in the regular season, and being the same guy in the postseason, Gibson is one of the very few that from 1960 on were able to do that. Gibson, Koufax. Hmm. I know a guy that, that values wins. He's coming up on my show, by the way. Who's that? Adam Wainwright. He is sensational. Yeah, he he values wins. I've talked yeah. to him about it. He's like, no, wins matter. Yeah. He goes, I, it matters to me that I go five innings and I give my team. Because he looks at it that way. 
He looks at like how mm-hmm. we're looking at it, where that means I stayed in the game longer than the the five innings or right. you know to qualify, and I I gave my team a chance to win. He's a throwback. He is. He is a throwback. He's yeah. definitely a throwback. So we're anyway. looking forward to hearing from him. Doing that, and I'm I'm kind of curious what some fans, maybe you guys will be listening to. You probably won't, but that's okay. No, we will. All right. Uh, I went back in the last 50 years. Uh, you may agree with this or not, but I went back what I thought were the top five game sixes in World Series history. Oh, oh I like this. Yeah. I, I ranked them from five, four, three, two, okay. one. One, I'm I'm sure you're going to be just shocked what I thought. I'm sure. One. <laughs> what a shock, shocker that this one will be. Great, I, I like this so idea. So let's go Me five, too. four, three, two. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, I, I've got. I think I have three of mine right now. But I'm I not had gonna, to, I'm and not at the say last second, are. I bumped one because I'm dealing with a hometown crowd. So I bumped one out of the top five. Oh. Okay. Because it, it, it would have affected you. It affected me. I was like, I can't put this on there. Does one of them say, just out of curiosity, behind the bag? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. That would be number two. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That would We're, be number two. This is going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Great job by our producer engineer, Scott Manziara. Thank you. Thanks, behind Randy. Behind the bag. <laughs> it gets through. Okay. okay. <laughs> Michelle, this was awesome. Thanks. This is a fun day, Randy. See you tomorrow. And our thanks to David Eckstein and to Travis Ford and to Joe Buck and to you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.